Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 313 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. 313 is the area code for Detroit, my home, so it is only natural that I, Donald Wine, that's, that's the host for the show. It is Wednesday, May 12th, 2021, and we're doing a quick podcast just about an hour after Patrick Baldwin Jr. made his decision on where he will play his college ball. Before we discuss that, let me bring in my two friends, Sam Klein and Jason Evans. Sam, how's it going this morning? Now I have to go back and see if I hosted episode 301 because that's because uh, that's my hometown. So, yeah, or or, or 202. I don't know who did. I was two. I was born. I was born in 202, but I grew up in 301. So I, yeah. I think I can claim them both. Although you now live in 202. Yeah, you can claim them both. It's all and it's all good. And Jason Evans is also here. Jason, how are you doing this morning? ATL 404. I call 404, gentlemen. We're not there yet. We, we, <laughs> we got yeah, we got plenty of time to organize that one. Um, but Let's break down the news we came to discuss very quickly. Patrick Baldwin Jr., the fourth-ranked player in the ESPN 100 class of 2021, announced this morning where he will be playing in college. And as you probably know by now, it will not be Duke. Uh, Baldwin decided he will be playing for his father, Patrick Baldwin Sr., at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Duke and Georgetown were the other finalists for the 6'9 forward. Am I disappointed he didn't choose Duke? Sure, it would have been great to have him and it would have kept an incredible super class for K. But am I surprised that he chose to play for his dad? No, not in the slightest. Even with all the stories out there that we had been commenting on and that you probably uh, out there listening have seen about his dad's future with the Panther program, I was not surprised at all that uh, of any decision that Baldwin would make. But this means that Duke's roster appears to finally be set for the 2021-22 season. So, Jason, I turn to you first. Give us your thoughts on Baldwin choosing to stay at home and play for Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Like you, Donald, I'm not surprised that he chose to play for his father. I mean, I am a father who has two sons. Neither of my sons are Division I college athletes. <laughs> but I have two boys, and I cherish every moment that I coach them, and they say they loved being coached by me. In fact, um, my, uh, my oldest son uh, is in a situation where a cousin of his needs a coach for a team, and, and my son, who is 24 years old, is like, I want to coach. I'm, you know, he's like, I want to be like my dad. I want to coach. Uh, I, I love coaching family. So I, I completely get why Patrick Baldwin senior and Patrick Baldwin junior made the choices they made. That said, I don't understand why it took this long. And here's my criticism with the process. And look, I don't care, you know, that like I was here hanging and waiting on this for a few weeks. That doesn't matter. What, what matters is Patrick Baldwin junior should have wanted to play with good teammates. If he wanted to play for his father, he should have announced that a while ago. And look, I know it's hard to make a decision, but at some point you gotta make it, you gotta make the call. If he had done this two, three, four weeks ago, there would have been time for Milwaukee to get better recruits, get better transfers, and surround Patrick Baldwin Jr. with better teammates. The way it is now, Milwaukee, by the way, has lost three of their best players from last year, either to the draft or to transfer. These are players who could have come back. They could have decided to continue to play at Milwaukee. They've left. Like the, arguably the three best players from last year's team, gone. Uh, they, they have not been very active in the transfer portal. The only transfer I've seen them pick up is a guy who played for San Francisco, averaged less than 10 minutes a game for San Francisco, averaged two points and two rebounds per game. So Milwaukee has. Milwaukee, that was not a very good Horizon Conference team, has gotten worse. Um, and now they add a player who will be the best player in the Horizon Conference. You know, great. 
But if they had kept these guys and if Patrick Baldwin Jr. had announced this earlier and if he had actually gone out there and pursued, you know, other transfers and recruits, they could have had a team that could really compete. When Patrick Baldwin made this announcement, he said, we've seen mid-majors like Loyola and Oral Roberts. I think those are the two. He definitely mentioned Loyola. He said, we've seen mid-majors surprise folks and make, a, uh, make waves in the NCAA tournament. He's absolutely right. If he decided this a month ago, then Milwaukee could have had a chance to be that. At this point, they do not. And that's what I find so confusing about this decision. I think what this tells you, though, is how hard the choice was for him and that he was really picking between two very different options. One in Duke, like if his final list, we know that Georgetown was also on his list. And Georgetown, you could say, is is not exactly like Duke, but is more like Duke than it is like Wisconsin-Milwaukee. If he had Duke and Kentucky and North Carolina and Kansas on his list, you know, schools like that, then we could understand it being, you know, figure out which coach you like the most, figure out which guys on the team you get along with it and make the choice. Here he was clearly picking between two very different options, one being go play for, you know, one of the most famous, if not the most famous college basketball coaches and play on a loaded roster where, yes, you are talented and you're coming in as a top five type recruit, but there is no guarantee of playing time on this Duke roster. And, and, I, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how crowded Duke is at the wing in this coming season. So even if he comes, there's not guaranteed you're playing 35 minutes a night for Coach K. On the other hand, getting to spend one year playing for your dad after a year that you know w- was not normal for, for basketball players at any level of any rank. And I'm sure that, that he was thinking like, you know, how much value did I get from being at home this year and, and maybe seeing my family more, maybe not. I don't know what his exact, uh, you know, prep situation was for his senior year, but getting to play for his dad is like a totally different experience. And I doubt, even though I, I think it's totally appropriate, Jason, to think about the sort of strategic element for Wisconsin, Milwaukee, and, and how recruiting could have gone for them. I don't think that's how Patrick Baldwin Jr. and maybe even how Patrick Baldwin Sr. was thinking about this. They were really thinking about it, and Patrick Baldwin Jr. was thinking about what's the value in me being home and, and playing for dad, not not like if I commit now to dad, this is all the guys we can get, because he knows that that you know, even if there's a, a chance that they can get a few big recruits, it's still an uphill battle for Wisconsin, Milwaukee to one, make the tournament, even if they're considered the best team, because often, you know, the horizon league teams are not making the tournament as at large bids. It's very rare. And then once you make the tournament, you can get into matchups that, that are particularly challenging. So yeah, it's very possible. They're going to, they're going to make the tournament next year, go on a sweet 16 or a final four run. And, and that would be very cool for the Baldwins. But no, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's not possible. But- if he, if he had committed earlier and they'd surrounded him with other complimentary players, it would have been possible. I'm my critic. And what I think is, is even if, even if he had done that, even if he had done that, the, the, the struggle is still there. And, and I don't think he was thinking about this in, in that strategic of a, of a level. It was really, do I want to play for dad or do I want to play for coach K? And that is a, is a tough call and is, and is really different. If he was choosing between two similar things, then maybe you could say like, all right, you know, eliminate the option to play for dad. We know that there's a lot of good options for playing for, for big time coaches, but he really narrowed this down to two very different choices. And that's probably why I think it took so long. Again, we don't know Patrick Baldwin Jr. And and unfortunately we won't get to know him that well, but, but I, I can see how it took him that long. And it's a shame for that program that, that it took him this long. So I think there's two things here, right? There's one aspect of things is the, he had an incredible amount of pressure on him. And pressure, unlike most recruits, right? Because 
playing for your dad also is maybe a unique choice, but it's also one that comes with a lot of pressure. Probably walking around town in Milwaukee, people are like, hey, you going you gonna play for dad? You gonna you gonna stay home, play for dad? He has that pressure and the pressure of not choosing to play with his dad throws his dad. I mean, we've talked about his dad and the implications of his job situation. I know that was weighing on him. So there's that part. There's also the fact of there's still like hundreds of players in the transfer portal that have not yet committed. So who's to say that Milwaukee now could could go out and either get those guys back or, you know, go after a couple of guys. There's still some, you know, seniors that are out there. There's still some guys who are still looking for places to play. And maybe now Wisconsin-Milwaukee may be a more attractive option for a couple of players. We have, we have no idea, but I think at the end, I think Sam, you're right. He chose, he made the decision for him. He, he, I think the pressure of playing for dad versus not playing for dad weighed on him. And in the end, he went with his gut. And speaking of sort of the, the, the sign of the times, we know that Patrick Baldwin is almost certainly a one-and-done player. Like, he's not going to stick around the same way we expect Paulo Bancaro at Duke is, is not going to stay more than one year, the same way we expect A.J. Griffin is likely not going to stay more than one year. The value once upon a time of, of picking a school like Duke, I, like, I think you could make an argument here, and, and I, don't, I think this will probably vary by the individual player, that going to a Duke or a Kentucky, if you know that you're a surefire one and done, is actually not as valuable as it as it may have been once upon a time to be a top 10 recruit and go to these places because you're going to get lots of chances at making the final four and lots of chances to play with with other top talent. Whereas here, it's pretty much guaranteed that Patrick Baldwin Jr. is going right to the draft. And so whether he plays at Duke or Wisconsin-Milwaukee is not going to make a huge difference. Does that one year of Coach K really help him that much demonstrably. I don't know. I assume it would because because Coach K has such a good track record of coaching guys and preparing them for the league. But it's not like Patrick Baldwin is going to be around for so long that it's going to make this enormous impact. And we have seen, unfortunately, a lot of one and done players come through Duke, some who have who have really embraced the program and and feel like they're sort of lifetime members and that they can come back. Zion Williamson, Kyrie Irving, these guys really feel like they're, they're part of the campus and they're part of the culture even after they leave. But a lot of other guys, and I don't need to get into all their names, but I'm sure you can remember some of the ones from recent years where it did feel like they showed up, they played in the games, or they didn't, and, and now they're gone. And, and they're not coming back. They're not really being part of the culture. And it's not that important to them. And the, one of the big parts of the culture shift has been once upon a time, your college affiliation was really an important part of the journey. And for these top prospects, it's not anymore. I don't I'm not going to tell them that that's like a bad thing for them individually, but where they end up in the NBA is more important to them than where they end up for nine or 12 months of college. It sucks. And it sucks for us as, as college basketball fans and, and guys who like to talk about college basketball, but it's not the most important thing for all of these, uh, for all these student athletes. Yeah. So we will leave it here. I mean, that's enough on Patrick Baldwin jr. He is committed to Wisconsin, Milwaukee. We wish him the best, but for our intents and purposes, Duke's roster is set. We still have a really loaded class heading to Durham this summer, and we are very excited about that, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that in the coming weeks and months. Let's pause for a quick second, but when we come back, name, image, and likeness is on the menu. Stick around.
Okay, gentlemen, we're back and we want to discuss something that NCAA President Mark Emmert said the other day about name, image, and likeness. He said that he recommends that the association, the NCAA, approve new rules allowing athletes to make money from name, image, and likeness before July 1st. Why July 1st? Just a couple of months away. That date is when new laws in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, and New Mexico are set to take effect that would allow NCAA athletes in those states to profit off of their name, image, or likeness for the first time. Arizona has a law that's going into effect on July 23rd. Another half dozen or so will open on January 1st of 2022. And there's as many as 30 states in total that have either passed or have legislation to open up these opportunities. So, Sam, I want to start with you. The NCAA, we've talked about this quite a bit. I'm pretty skeptical about the NCAA's ability to move their butts in less than two months' time to enact some rules that would actually change the landscape of how we look at college sports. But what do you think? We were talking in the last segment about how the Baldwin family was not acting particularly strategically in, in having Patrick Jr. committing this late. That lack of, of strategic thinking pales in comparison to what Mark Emmert and the NCAA are doing here because they have had years, years and years. You could even say they've had a decade to change their mind about this. Like I remember being, I was in college 10 years ago. This is, this year is my, is my, uh, would have been my 10 year reunion if I had bothered to join the, the zoom events. I remember being in college and thinking these things are going to start changing about name, image, and likeness, about athletes getting paid, about athlete empowerment. Like the, the, the seeds of that were just starting, I feel like, around 10, 12 years ago. Mark Embert could have five years ago or six years ago said, you know what? This is coming long-term. This is going to make more sense for everybody. Why don't we start moving in this direction? Now we are seven weeks away from states making these changes legislatively. And, and these are state governments. Governments move slower than everybody else. And somehow exactly. the NCAA is managing to be behind the eight ball when it comes to keeping up with, with state legislatures. It is amazing how slowly Sam, these things move and how reactive this, they are. This is like the world's biggest group project. We all know how group projects go. We've yes, had them in school exactly. before where there's a group of 10 people and eight people do the work and they're like, Hey, you know, we just got to wait on nine and 10 and nine and 10 do absolutely nothing. And then the night before the projects do, they like, you know what, we'll just do it ourselves. And they do the project. And then with an hour left, nine and 10 show up, go, Oh guys, guys, we have to do this group project. Nine and 10 is the NCAA. This is, this is group members, nine and 10 coming home from shooters and having <laughs> to start the project after, after that night. Well, but yeah. wait, but more than that, the, the, the key thing about the timing here, Sam's right, this has been coming for a decade, but for a couple of years now, this July 1st date has been known. It's not like, so like some of these, like Georgia just passed their, their name, image, and likeness legislation like uh, less than a month ago. Like The legislation was introduced for most of those states pre-pandemic. Think about that. Yeah, this has been, so like I was saying, Georgia's is fairly recent, but most of these have been in place for a couple of years now. Essentially what these legislatures did, let's be clear, they, they stuck, they drew a line in the sand. They said, July 1 of 2021, hey, NCAA, either you figure it out by this date or we're gonna figure it out for you. And the NCAA said, oh, cool. Then we don't have to figure it out till July 1. Yo, idiots, guys, you gotta plan this in advance. You gotta, you gotta actually make moves before the deadline date. 
this is to, to bring back the homework example, the homework's due in an hour and you're starting the project now. <laughs> it ain't going to work right. And the big problem the NCA has, of course, is that whatever legislation they pass must match the most aggressive of all these state legislations. If, if the NCAA had been smart, they would have seen this coming and they would have done it themselves. And then these state laws wouldn't exist. But the way they're doing it now, they either have to go beyond the, the most serious of the state laws, the, 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 you know, they either have to go and match the most loose, I guess I should say, of the state laws, the most uh, forgiving to athletes, or they're going to create a situation where athletes at different schools are playing under different rules. And that's what the NCAA wants to avoid. What they want to avoid is the scenario where a kid going to Georgia or South Carolina or Florida, which are three of the states that have done this, is able to get something that a kid going to Duke or Kansas or UCLA or whatever else that the other kid cannot get, because that creates an unbalanced playing field. And, and that's, that's the recipe for chaos in the NCAA. And here they are six weeks before the deadline and Mark Emmert's finally going, hey, we should really deal with this. It's, it's ridiculous. It's pathetic. It's a sign of how bad the NCAA is. But and Donald, if I, if I can, the most important point in all of this is, yes, the NCAA is stupid and they did this on the wrong timeline. But what really matters is it's getting done in some shape or form. And the athletes coming to Duke to play basketball and football this fall, everyone on the team, I believe, I now firmly believe they're going to have opportunities to make money off their name, image, and likeness, to profit off their skill while they're in college. That is a massive sea change from what existed in the past. It is a change in the way college athletes are treated, and, and it is finally a fair system where these guys are going to get to make a little tiny piece of the pie that, that for years has only been eaten by the NCAA and its schools. So I agree with you on that part. I think we're, we're finally at this point where something is going to happen. Here is where I remain skeptical. The NCAA has never done anything the way they're supposed to do it. So when we say that they have to create legislation or create something that is on par or exceeds the most aggressive legislation there is in the States, I firmly believe that the NCAA will not do that. Why? Because the NCAA has not demonstrated to me that they will go that far. They are going to try and do something just under that and then go to the courts and say, well, we did something and this, what they're doing is way too aggressive. We can't do that. We can't be forced to do that. We, we're, we've already met them halfway. So I think the NCAA is going to come with something and it's going to be something that's going to very, be very underwhelming. And they're going to try and get the other states that have more aggressive uh, legislation on the books to kind of react to that and, and, and basically say, hey, you can't do that here. And so it is going to be sort of a wild, wild west for a year or so while the courts figure it out. Because again, the NCAA is still run by Mark Emmert, who has been able to do this for how many years and has not decided to do it. I don't expect them. No one does the group project with two minutes left and does it perfectly. They do just enough right, to get right. it done. And that's exactly what the NCAA is going to do. Especially not the guy who everybody knows is not good at his job. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> this, is not, this is not Albert Einstein walking in before the physics test uh, and being like, I didn't study, but you know what? I'll be fine. 
Right. Love, that, that is awesome, Sam. The, the, the comment I was going to make is, to me, the bottom line, guys, is still that whatever the NCAA screws up in this process, guys are going to get paid. They're going to get paid this fall and, and that this fall, this winter, whatever, when school starts. And that's that's a good thing. And to me, that's the most important thing. And, and the really interesting thing to me is, you know, bringing this back somewhat to Patrick Baldwin, start of our conversation, guys like Jordan Goldwire, guys like Henry Coleman, guys who uh, are, are choosing not to go to Duke and choosing to go to smaller situations. Jordan Goldwire went to Oklahoma, but still, you know, Henry Coleman, Texas Tech. Uh, Texas A&M, sorry. Um, I think there's going to end up being real value in being at one of these schools that has a lot of followers, that is prominent and on TV all the time. Look, you you sign with Duke, instantly your Instagram and your and your Twitter profiles are going to be elevated in a way that they are not elevated at Wisconsin, Milwaukee, or you know at a at a smaller school, Mississippi State. Um, yeah, I know guys want to go places where they can get playing time and become pros, but it may be that some guys start to realize, you know what, I can earn $100,000, $150,000 at Duke. I can only earn about $30,000 at smaller school or maybe even less than that. Um, so I think it's, uh, I'm very interested in seeing how this all plays out. And really for, uh, there's that part too. And I also think it's going to focus on some of these really big recruits building up their social media recognition, building up their brand before they get to college. Sort of like with Zion. I mean, Zion didn't really have a build up his brand. He just was Zion and injured, ended up having more, you know, Instagram followers than Duke. And Duke is the most followed basketball team, college team on the planet. Mikey Williams. I think you guys have heard of Mikey Williams. He is a heralded recruit. Uh, I'm going to come out in a couple of years. He already has more Instagram followers than Zion did when he was in high school. He has over 3 million people. So he's going to be able to leverage that to go wherever he wants because he won't need, he's been, you know, kind of, he's been keeping some HBCUs in the, in the, in the uh, mix because for him, he doesn't need to go to a Duke to build his brand up. He already has it, but what it will do is it'll, it'll do two things. One, these colleges will start building their brands up and trying to focus on leveraging that to get players to say, Hey, I can leverage my brand against theirs. And then there's the, athletes themselves who are going to be able to say, Hey, I can build up a following on my own, do it my own way so that I can have, I can write whatever check I want when I get to college and my brand will get me the money that I'm looking for and not necessarily rely on the schools. All right. Can I take one more angle on this before we wrap up that I'm interested to watch? We talked about, I think it was about a month ago now when Roy Williams retired about the explanation, part of the explanation that he gave for his retirement was that he doesn't think he's, he sort of got it anymore. He, he doesn't think he can keep up. I bet you we're going to see a slew of culture of, excuse me. I think we're going to see a slew of coaches this fall and especially next spring say this past year with name, image, and likeness on the table, not for me. I am, I am out. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if coach K makes that decision. I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Jim Beheim makes that decision, but we are going to see a lot of coaches say, I am moving on from this college head coaching business because this is not what I signed up for. I did not and, sign up to, to babysit portal. kids brands. I did not sign up to, to worry about them having a photo shoot at the same time that we have weightlifting. This is, this is way beyond the scope of what college coaches want to be doing. And you know, there's a, there's a number of reasons that you get into college coaching. And I think a lot of it 
some of it is money, right? Like the, the top coaches make a ton of money. Most of them do not. Even most division one head coaches do not make crazy amounts of money. What they get is the opportunity to work with young men and, and develop programs. I mean, you know, we, when, when we had um, Jalen Blake's coach on the other week, that this is all he talked about. Obviously he's at a high school and not a college, but I think a lot of the same dynamics exist. They don't, a lot of these guys don't want to be around to, to babysit student athletes brands. And so you're going to see this huge shift in who wants to be a college coach and, and how all of these things work. So I'm going to be tracking college coach retirements at the end of next season. Sam, that is, that is a smart, smart comment. And, and by the way, this name, image, and likeness stuff, comes on the heels of the true insanity of the transfer portal this year, where a quarter, one fourth of all players in division one are moving to a different school. Uh, it's, uh, we've been saying the wild, wild west, all this other kind of stuff, the changes that have happened over the course of the past few months and over the course of the next several months uh, to, to merely describe them as a sea change to, to say, you know, greatest change in the history of college sports. That doesn't even put it in perspective. It is a fundamental shift in, in how co college sports are handled and dealt with. And, and I, Sam, I think you're right. I think there are gonna be some coaches who just say, no, you know, I thought recruiting was a pain in the neck. Now I got to recruit them while they're still at my school and I have to deal with their agents and their marketing guys. And the dude who's wondering, like you said, I, I need, you know, who's saying I need to get him out there so he can do the photo shoot for the auto dealership on, on highway 12. We have some amazing Jim Beheim <laughs> rants coming if if the state of New York passes legislation for this. I will I will end with this uh, as in regards to my name, image, and likeness. Um, Bojangles, Cosmic Cantina, um, you know, Elmo's. I'm, I'm cookout. very open. Cookout. I'm very open to my name, image, and likeness being used uh, for the right price. So just holler. At me. Danes, shout out, shout out to Danes on Ninth Street. Danes, if you want to sponsor me, I've given you a lot of money, so I think I'm I'm owed it back in return. Yeah. Durham Bulls, let's, you know, I can, let's do I can be the bull for a day. Like I could do that. Willie take, take some vacation. He, he, he has some coming up so we could do that, but we'll leave it there for episode three, one, three of the Duke basketball report podcast. We will be back soon. We, I know we have some survey results to report. We will also see what goes on in the NBA as the playoffs will be finalized this week and any other news that comes down to Pike, we will of course be able to react to that dbrpodcast at gmail.com is the email in case you have questions or would like to comment. We love hearing from our uh, listeners. Also subscribe, rate, review, you know the drill, but for Sam and for Jason, I am Donald. Episode 313 is in the books and Duke Band take us home.